Jazzies, and you're listening to the Euro Trip podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Euro Trips podcast. I am your host, Andy, and I'm this week, as per ever, joined by our regulars, Naeem, Jonathan, and Ryan. How are you, boys? Good. Yeah, not bad, thanks. Good stuff, good stuff. Alex isn't here today, unfortunately, but we will hear from him potentially later on today. So, this week we're bringing you the usual roundups of all the top leagues in Europe, and we are starting off this week with events in Spain. Now, I will get Ryan to speak as well, because we, me and Ryan especially, have a bone to pick with La Liga, particularly the... Um, the scheduling, or should I say, rescheduling of fixtures. Um, so I'll let Ryan tell us more, and then Naeem can go straight on to uh, La Liga. Sure. Yeah, well, basically, it's, it's the simple fact is that we see with La Liga the same scenario with Serie A, Ligue 1, and a lot of other European leagues as well, where the fixture list is not updated any any further than two to three weeks in advance. So, for example, today, we only found out today, so Monday, no, sorry, Tuesday, the games that will be playing next weekend. Obviously, we knew which teams were playing the others, but we didn't know which days and which times they were going to be played on, which makes it hard for people to be able to plan their trips. But me and, me and Andy actually had a, a trip that we already had planned to Spain uh, for the channel to watch Valencia against Real Sociedad, which was scheduled um, on the Saturday uh, afternoon, and they rescheduled it without any reason to the Sunday afternoon, meaning we couldn't then go to the game because of we, 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 there were no late flights from Valencia coming back to the UK that night, and um, it's, it's caused us a lot of problems, to be honest, because we've already paid for the tickets as well, which means we've now got to try to sell the tickets, which means we'll probably lose money on them as well, and it's, it's an absolute well, shit show, really, isn't it? Yeah, it's just... I mean, it's, it's all... I, I'm all, I'm all for rescheduling it, say, like, two weeks before, or even a month before, but with less than... Well, just over a week before the game, it just seems awfully frustrating because, you know, it's that thing of... I know not... not Everyone does a trip where they, um, you know, where, where there's just a day or two. But for our kind of content, it is frustrating because that means we're having to completely change. Albeit, we're probably going to find somewhere else just as um, just as easily. But it's just that frustration having to move around and and having to re having to buy things, buy flights again, and buy tickets again. It, it's just awfully frustrating. So um, it's a shame that they do that because I don't think I don't think I've seen that too much with the Premier League. I think once a date set in stone. Unless COVID cancels the game, which it has done recently, I'm not aware of many times in the Premier League or Championship or League One, League Two or FA Cup have ever changed dates that soon before a game. Um, you know, they change months before or stuff like that. But I've never known in the Premier League it to be that wing of football to be that soon to the game. But but anyway, um, we will find somewhere hopefully next week for the channel. Um, so we will hopefully go somewhere in Europe to watch football. But the question is, where? So we're not quite sure yet. I think Ryan knows more than me. But um, yeah, we'll hopefully find somewhere. But sticking with La Liga, uh, what has been happening in the last seven days, Naeem? Yeah, so this weekend was a full round of fixtures this weekend. Because obviously last weekend we had the Copa, Super Copa de España and the Copa del Rey. So there's only, there only a couple of matches last week. So... Kicking off on the Friday was Espanyol. They they took on Real Betis at home. 
They actually went 1-0 up in the 14th minute, thanks to Raul de Thomas. But goals from Borja Iglesias, Guido Rodriguez in the first half made it 2-1 at half-time. Going into the second half, uh, Real Betis made it 3-1 with another goal from Borja Iglesias. Before William Jose coming on as a sub, scored two minutes um, after, after coming off the bench. Uh, the goal scorer for Espanyol, Raul de Thomas, received two yellow cards and saw his marching orders um, in the 81st minute. So I'm just going to quickly run through some of the other games that happened on the weekend. So on Saturday, Levante, they lost 2-0 at home to Cadiz, uh, fellow relegation rivals. So there's not much points in between them, but obviously it's a good win for Cadiz. Villarreal took on Mallorca. Uh, they ran out 3-0 winners um, after obviously losing losing their game before in the league, so it was good to see them bounce back. Uh, Sevilla, they, funny enough, went 2-0 down in the first half uh, to, to Celta Vigo, but goals in the second half from Alejandro Gomez and Olivia Torres managed to settle a draw for them. Atletico Madrid, same thing happened with them. They took on Valencia at home. They went down 2-0 in the first half also, but Obviously, they went on to win 3-2 thanks to a 93rd minute winner from Mario Hermoso. So obviously, Athletic Madrid, they have been in a bit of bad form in the last couple of weeks, but they managed obviously to get a win there. So the top four hopes are still still there. Granada, they lost 2-0 at home to Osasuna. Uh, Real Madrid, they on Elche. Uh, it was a game that me and Ryan was meant to obviously have gone to the weekend. They also went 2-0 down. Um, to, to Elche but Benzema he actually had a penalty in the first half to make it 1-0 but um, his shot was off target not very often we see him missing missing many shots but and that was, that's what happened uh, after it was 2-0 in the 82nd minute Luka Modric he got a penalty but then he scored as Benzema went off in the 58th minute and was replaced by Luka Jovic so Modric was down, down to take the penalty and then in the 92nd minute, Militao, he got, a, he got an equaliser to avoid defeat for Real Madrid. So they ended that game 2-2. Uh, Raya Vallecano, they lost 1-0 at home to Atleti Club. Real Sociedad, they drew 0-0 at home against Getafe. And the last game of the weekend was Deportivo against Barcelona. They narrowly lost 1-0 to Barcelona thanks to a goal from Frankie de Jong. Um, I'll quickly just go through the table, um, the top five teams and the bottom three teams. So, no change at the bottom of the table, Levante. They remain on 11 points, seven, sorry, nine points from safety at the moment. Uh, Deportivo, they're on 17 points in 19th place. And Cadiz, after beating Levante, they are on 18 points, two points from safety. In sixth place, we've got Real Sociedad with 34 points. Barcelona have creeped up to fifth on 35 points. Atletico Madrid... Uh, with the first win um, in, in a while. They're on 36 points in fourth place. Real Betis, uh, they're unbeaten in the last three. They're on 40 points. Sevilla and obviously Real Madrid, they both drew. Sevilla on 46 points and Real Madrid are on 50 points. And quickly, um, Anthony Martial looks set to be joining Sevilla on uh, a loan until the end of the season. 
Um, I think he's flying out. He's he's already flown out to um, Spain at the moment, so he will be a Sevilla player for the rest of the season. So I think that will be a good move for him. Um, he hasn't really been getting been getting played at Man United. Um, so yeah, it'll be good to see um, how well he does in Spain. I reckon he will probably do well um, out there. And uh, lastly, I just want uh, to say rest in peace to um, eight people that were killed in a crush um, outside of Cameroon Stadium yesterday. Unfortunately, um, two of the victims were two boys aged 8 and 14. So thoughts are going out with their family, um, um, obviously, with this time. You don't really see these sort of things happening um, now, now these days. But, yeah, it's always sad to see. And, yeah, it's been a good tournament so far. Um, Comoros, they actually played Cameroon last night. And they had their left back in goal um, because their main goalkeeper was out injured and the second choice goalkeeper had COVID so their left back had to go in goal. They lost 2-1 but you know they did have their chances and they did score an amazing free kick. It was about 30 yards out, top left hand side corner. Onana had no chance of getting that. But yeah, so that's a little roundup of La Liga and a little bit of news there. Yeah, and everyone at Eurotrip, so our thoughts are all with the families of those who did lose their lives at the African Cup of Nations yesterday. Um, but we will move on. We we mentioned the, the country briefly in our travel plans, but we will head back to Italy next. Um, so, Ryan, what has been happening in Italy? And I believe there's a big transfer about to happen in Syria. Well, before I talk about that Serbian striker, um, we'll do a little bit of a roundup of the of the fixtures from the weekend. In a weekend that saw 56 yellow cards. Jeez. Jeez. <laughs> Throughout all the games. All red cards as well. <laughs> Just shocking. Um, on the Friday, Friday night, Verona beat Bologna 2-1. Genoa and Udinese drew 0-0. Lazio and Atalanta drew 0-0. Inter beat Venezia 2-1. On the Sunday, Cagliari and Fiorentina drew 1-1 in a game that saw another red card. Napoli beat Salentana 4-1. Spezia beat Sampdoria 1-0. Torino and Sassuolo drew 1-1. Roma smashed Empoli 4-2. Tammy Abraham continued his scoring. And AC Milan and Juventus drew 0-0. That's the fixtures out of the way. Now, I want to talk about that Serbian striker who's been acting like a bit of a prick lately. And I do apologise, Andy, because you're going to have to get the bleep machine out a few times. <laughs> <laughs> but this same goes for his for his two-bob agency, who, in my opinion, have absolutely conned Fiorentina into selling him to Juventus this window. This is a player that said he wanted to move in the summer after he broke records this season with Fiorentina. He wanted to leave them at the end of the year, having achieved European football of some kind, which was definitely achievable for Fiorentina this season. Now, I could understand it if that was the case. I can even understand why he didn't want to join either Arsenal or Spurs at the moment, because neither are guaranteed Champions League football next year. And they're both sort of the middle way through, really, of their projects. But the fact that he and his agents have basically ignored Fiorentina over the last few weeks and months, they've not given them straight answers. They've basically not, reports are, they've not even answered phone calls from anyone. And it, it forced Fiorentina into an awkward position because were they to wait, they could end up losing him in 18 months for nothing. Or certainly a lot less than 70 million euros, which they're probably going to now get. 
On the other hand, they also said they would not sell any player to Juventus. This was said by Rocco Comissio, who is the current owner of Fiorentina. They then wouldn't sell, sold rather, Federico Chiesa to Juve, and they said they wouldn't. They said they wouldn't sell Vlahovic to Juve, and now they will. And the thing what winds me up even more is they don't even need to necessarily. Yes, 70-odd million euros is a lot of money, but this is a wealthy club. Fiorentina have a, one of the richest owners in European football. They don't need the money. If At the end of the day, if you work out that this was his game all along, then you play him at his own game and you say, all right, if you want to join our biggest local rivals and a potential rival for league ple- uh, places going forward, fine. Then you, you'll write in the reserves for 18 months and you make an example out of him so that other young players coming through your system don't then go and do the exact same thing in years to come because they're going to look at him, they're going to look at Chiesa, Bernadeschi, Cordelado, even from years ago, you know, when Baggio made the move. And they're going to think, okay, I'll have a good season or a couple of good seasons at Fiorentina and then I'll just go to Juventus and they're not going to stop me because I've seen other players do the exact same thing. And this has wound me up no end because we all know that there's no loyalty in football anymore, but still, he could have had, or he would have had so many big offers in the summer from some massive clubs. You, you know, you look at how many sh- clubs at the moment need strikers or who will need strikers come the summer. Manchester City potentially going to need someone. Barcelona, although they've got no money, apparently, they might need someone. If Real Madrid don't get Mbappe or Haaland, they'll need someone. If PSG lose Mbappe, they'll lose, you know, they'll need someone. Lewandowski's not getting any younger at Bayern. They might need someone. So he could have had a lot of offers. And I don't necessarily blame him for going to Juve in a sense because he's going to go there and he's going to win league title after league title and he could stay there for the rest of his career and become a legend at that football club. So I don't question his ambition in a sense, but he's ruined basically any kind of legacy that he would have left at Fiorentina to join Juve and you know you're not going to win a Champions League at Juve because they're bottled jobs when it comes to Champions League finals so that ain't going to happen and we were only listening a few weeks ago Juve couldn't get 7 million euros to pay for Denis Zakaria so where are they now getting 70 odd million to pay for Dusan Vlahovic it all smells very strange to be honest with you we already mentioned on the podcast a few weeks ago that they're being investigated for their dodgy dealings over the past couple of years. Now, I know that they've got Ronaldo's wages off the bill, which were massive, and that's definitely helped them. But I don't understand how they're being able to afford this transfer. And quite honestly, it's enraged me that much that I hope they end up sending Juve back down to Serie D and he ends up playing fucking milkmen and farmers on a plastic pitch <laughs> in front of 10 fans who are just having a day out. Because I feel so sorry for the Fiorentina supporters. He must be sick and tired of losing that best players to one of their biggest rivals. As Arsenal fans, me and Naeem, we know about that. We can simplify. We've lost yep. so many like, great players to our you know, Premier League rivals. And trust me, he's going to get so much abuse over the oh, coming yeah. weeks and months from the Fiorentina fans. We've already seen last night 
you know, the, the banners that have been put up around Fiorentina, especially around the stadium. Um, they've had to uh, double the amount of protection outside of his home because obviously the threats that are coming in, um, you know, and some may read into all this and think I'm a little bit bitter because he's not come to Arsenal. Realistically, we, we, we all kind of knew he, it was always going to be an incredibly difficult one to get over the line. We knew he probably weren't going to be interested in coming to Arsenal at the moment. But it's none of that. It's, it's just simply because, yeah, again, we're seeing a top player at a mid-to-top sort of club in Fiorentina leave for another, you know, for the biggest club in, in Italy at the moment, which is Juve. And it's, it's incredible business for them because that, that will now take them to potential title challenges, not just for next season, but for this season. And just think about that because I didn't even think that they would get top four football. A few about a month ago, now they are about I think they're thirteen points off the top. But that isn't that much, considering there's fifteen games to be played, and Inter, AC Milan, Napoli, and Atlanta are not showing the kind of consistency needed to win a squadetto. So they could easily bring him in, go unbeaten for most of those games, and and end up winning the title towards the end of the season. I can see that happening. Because all they needed was a striker, a striker that scored goals, and they are now about to get it. And in summary, I'm just annoyed. I was, yeah, I was going to ask how, because you know I saw this whole thing um, come about as well just recently, and I didn't really believe it was true because you know I remember hearing that you know Juve is under investigation still. I mean. Mm. Are they are they going to have to offload Dybala, You think he's on some you know what like ten million um, a year? They're going to have to cut corners somewhere, I guess, to, to get around this. And and they have to they have to get Champions League football this year. I mean, I don't see them winning the league. Uh, I think Inter's you know ten or so odd points still ahead. But mm-hmm. if they don't get Champions League football this year, that that becomes really interesting because I don't know what they're going to do without that money grab. Well, it's interesting as well because we knew Dybala was already out of contract next summer, but it was rumoured for months and months and months that they pretty much had sewn up a new contract for him and it was just simply had to be signed and announced. Now, last month, that was apparently then taken off the table by Juventus and they said, we'll offer you a new contract in a couple of months' time. The same goes for a couple of other players as well. This upset Paolo Dybala, who wondered what what the hell was going on, and has basically now changed his mind, and he's probably now definitely going to leave on a free transfer in the summer. And it now makes me think that they knew, you know, a couple of weeks ago, or if not a month ago, that they were going to be able to get Vlahovic, and that's why they decided to take that deal off the table for Dybala, because there's no way that would... I don't see how they would have been able to play the, uh, both of them in the same in the same team as well and obviously they would both be on massive wages you you would imagine and, and it looks like Dybala could be going to Inter Milan as well which would be an unreal piece of business for Inter and would definitely make those two teams the the standout title challenges I think year year on year out especially as now as Inter is also looking like they're going to get um, Robin Gossens from Atalanta who we all saw have a great Euros with Germany. 
and with him on one side and Dumfries on the other side, they've got you know an incredible team what they're starting to rebuild, especially after this summer. So it's a really interesting window, and honestly, I didn't expect this these transfers to happen this window. I thought we'd see a lot of this in the summer, but it's yeah, it's all gone off really. And interestingly as well, just to finalise, the last game of the season, Fiorentina play at home against Juventus. Is... A game that I would love to go to and the one that I hope that we can go to because oh, if 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 he plays against them, that would be some hostile atmosphere. Oh. Yeah, especially if, you know, especially if, you they do catch up these teams, and it is sort of like you know the sort of last day of the season, and it's like two points between Juventus and Inter Milan or something, or there's three points separating first and third or something, and Juve are involved. I think that would be just be add extra spice. Cause I think the Fiorentina fans definitely, especially in their own ground, will want to sort of try oh. and spoil their party, well, especially for Vlahovic, really. Um, oh. So I think that'd be excellent. It will be incredible, especially if Fiorentina are fighting for. European a European place, which I think they they still uh, will be, even though they had a poor game at the weekend. But I mean, even Arsene Wenger called it a couple of years ago when he said this is going to happen more and more often. The biggest players will, st- will continue to run down their contracts and leave for nothing. Yeah, you know, we saw years ago the clubs they all had the pa- they had the power. Mm-hmm. Now now it's definitely swung the opposite way. And everything now is with the player because we're now about to see the most valuable player, arguably in world football, leave PSG for Real Madrid on a, on, on a free transfer, just so his him and his family can pocket tens of millions, leaving PSG who who are not poor by any stretch in the mud, basically. And you know, it's a similar. You know, I I'd imagine you know Jonathan would be, feel the same if Haaland left Dortmund for for Bayern or. Andy would feel the same if Kane had left Tottenham for City or knowing with you know Jao Felix leaving Atletico for Real Madrid. You know, if you continue to see these kinds of moves happen, it just takes away any kind of you know competitiveness almost between the big clubs in in European football. We're not seeing the you know the title battles and the battles for European football that we all want to see on a regular ba- on a regular basis and it's it's just frustrating really. Yeah, and also you look at like I I could be wrong on this, but you know with financial fair play, do they only take into account transfers? Do they take into account salary with, with financial fair play? Um mm, I don't believe so. Could that have even more reason why players could do it? Because even clubs would encourage it because they could have all these players and if they got Mbappe for free, that's not gonna and if they if they pay him X amount money per year. That's not going to affect their. That's not going. To, that's not. That's not going to mean they're going to breach financial fair play. So, I think more clubs can be in, in favour, and they can attract players with more salary, and it won't. It won't affect. You know, it won't affect the um, financial fair play. And I think that it's a real shame if you really do because we. If Fiorentina have what, sold four or five players from over the years, but mm-hmm. like Southampton, they just seem to be selling. Come a selling club by the sounds of it. And we've seen the German league already being one-dimensional. The French league already is. The Italian league was, and it, with that signing, it may well be back to being Juve dominating again. England, City, even though they drew on the weekend, uh, spoil it, um, they will 
they're, they're still they're still in the league. They're, they could dominate the league for a few more years because even if Pep leaves, you know, they've still got the money there. They've still got the power, the depth, and they've still got that amount of money. I think Newcastle will be the same thing once they, um, after a few years of their rebuild, I think we are going to see just team steps that you just walk away with it. And then it's, there's, there's been no league at the top who's going, going to be competitive. They're all going to be these leagues that are decided by December and once in a blue moon, someone else wins it. Yeah, and, and to be fair, La Liga have, have implemented their own, obviously, financial fair play yeah. kind of system with the, you know, the salary caps that we've seen come into major effect, obviously, with Barcelona, especially having to sell, you know, get rid of Messi. But... They don't even do it right because how it works is obviously you can you get a certain X amount of money which you can spend on salaries, but that's basically from what like what kind of club you are. So Real Madrid obviously are going to get a much bigger salary cap than say Mallorca because it's based on how much money you earn and how you know how much revenue you bring in. And of course, Real Madrid are going to bring in more than Mallorca, for example. And again, this isn't creating fairness or competitiveness in any in any way. It's it's you know almost doing the opposite. So it's you know they need to like I say they need to come up with something of this like they've done actually in Formula One, where every team now has the exact same salary cap, and that's how it should be. And it hopefully will create you know more fairness and competitiveness in that sport. That's what they need to do in this sport, and they also need to hurry up. And introduce these agent cap fees as well. So, you know, the likes of Jorge Mendes and, you know, that fat geezer who represents Paolo, uh, Paul Pogba and Ibrahimovic, you know, <laughs> they, they, they need to clamp down on them because they're the ones who are almost ruining Oh, absolutely. Football. Well, this, this whole thing with Mo Salah, the whole reason this, this whole thing's lingering is because of Salah's agent. Salah's made it clear in the public that he wants to stay and he likes being livable. But it's so clear that it's the agent meddling and trying to get more money for himself. So, and um, John, well, you'll, you'll appreciate this. Um, this is what the NFL's done so well, is that they do have the same thing with the salary cap. And that's why no team's won back by titles in the last 15, 16 years. Because the teams that the teams that are bad two years ago are now good, like the Bengals, for example. We're seeing in the NFL a lot more parity. And it's obviously it's gone introduced in the 90s, whenever it was. And it's made it so much more fair league. And I think that every league, and it should be, it should be a law, there should be a legislation, it should be introduced in every league because... We can't keep having this going on more and more because it's just getting boring. I mean, the Premier League's losing its appeal because you haven't got those. You know, think of the noughties. Um, yeah, Chelsea, Man U going for every year, and Arsenal, Man U in early noughties. You had in the late noughties, you had Arsenal, Man U, Chelsea, Liverpool all going for titles. Whereas, um, obviously, since then, every year, even though when we won the league, it was twenty points or something. City won the league last year. Was City won the league the last few years by so many points? There's only really been, I can think of, two good title races in the last 10 years. Even when Leicester won it, that was a shock to everyone. But even that was 10-point, 11-point gap. So there's been, every and Germany and France have been, and Italy have been just non-shows for years. So something does need to be changed. But, does, but speaking of Germany, we will head to Jonathan. Uh, so what's been happening in the last seven days in Germany? Yeah, so I, I completely agree with you there. I mean, if... Premier League or other leagues around the world could could develop something like Germany's fifty plus one rule, even though you know hasn't been working out too well for them these last nine or ten years. 
but something like that. And then if America could get some sort of relegation system going, we'll do a little trade there. I think that would work well. Um, but back to German football, it did start out with Armenia Bielefeld beating Eintracht Frankfurt 2-0 to start off the weekend on Friday. Bielefeld are now at 21 points, which, which have pulled them out of the relegation battle for now. Um, I really like Patrick Wimmer. He was just brought over, sort of a young uh, guy who can play out on the wing, center of the park, midfielder, um, great player, great setup man, and uh, scored some good goals as well. And then Steven Ortega, he, Ortega might be top three keeper in the Bundesliga right now, and, and I think one of the top keepers um, in the top five leagues. He's been really good, which is probably the main reason why Bielefeld cons- continues to exceed expectations because this, you know, last year everybody pegged them to go down. And then again this year, you know, everybody said, uh, you know, they got lucky last year, but, you know, this is the year they'll, they'll head back down. But at the moment, to beat Frankfurt 2-0 and upper table side, that's a pretty good win. Gladbach lost again as well as Wolfsburg. Um, I say it every single week. Adi Hooter looks to be staying on. Um, Wolfsburg lost to Leipzig. You know, Leipzig are, are coming back after a little bit of a slow start. It's been big to get Danny Omel back. He'll soon work his way into the starting lineup yet again. But the rumors are that Florian Kofeld, the Wolfsburg trainer, has this weekend uh, one game left if they don't get all three points against Firth, the worst team in Bundesliga and possibly one of the worst teams in Bundesliga history. Uh, he will be gone, so Watford's situation could be could be going there if Kofeld is gone, because that'd be two trainers gone in the same season for Wolfsburg. They should have already done it by now. I don't know why they're waiting till next weekend. Um, I I think they might even tie against Firth. That's how bad Wolfsburg have been. But it's a sad situation there, Champions League club that are looking straight at relegation right in the face. And, of course, speaking of Firth, they actually won this weekend. They beat Mainz 2-1. to one. Um, They're now actually unbeaten in the last couple of games. Uh, I said a few weeks ago, even when the season started, I thought they were going to be worse than that Schalke team last season. But they've had a couple of draws. Now they just beat Mainz. Not too bad. Jonathan Burkhardt, who's really good, young German international, had several chances, hit the post, um, couldn't really get anything in. He's going to be a player to watch out for in the years to come. But it was funny because Mainz's coach, Bo Svensson, was actually suspended for this game um, for yelling at a ref. I think it was a week ago or so and, and picking up a little some, something there, a little suspension. So that was funny, the pictures of him just watching from the press box. And, and supposedly he could meet with the team at halftime but couldn't do anything else. But he'll be back this weekend. Mainz haven't been playing well. Um, but, yeah, that, that loss to Firth is really bad. Dortmund beat Hoffenheim 3-2. to two. We barely got three points again. Uh, Andre Kramerich for Hoffenheim had a really, really good goal. Elas Babu, I think he's just so, so good. Uh, he sort of plays in the number nine role for Hoffenheim. He's actually a great crosser as well. Sometimes works on the outside and crosses balls into guys like Ruter and Kramerich. Um but Dortmund barely escaped by goals by Holland had a penalty. Marco Royce. Um, it was a good game though. Great game, but they can't be, you know, 
barely beaten teams by the skin of their teeth if they want any chance to stick with Bayern, which at this point, you know, you might as well move on to next season, which will probably be the same thing again. Um, but, oh, well, Yusofu Makoko, uh, 17-year-old who many believe is the guy to take over for Holland. Uh, he's a little on the shorter side, but there's so much potential. There are reports that he's actually unhappy. He hasn't been getting a lot of playing time lately. Uh, 16-year-old last season, he had a couple of goals. But his agent said the other day, you know, he, they're looking at other options for Makoko. I don't know if the possible Adeyemi transfer from Salzburg. Um, I don't know if Makoko doesn't like that. But if he leaves, that would be uh, a big-time transfer as Dortmund still see him as the future up front for them. Holland has another muscle injury. Seems to keep on getting these knocks uh, almost once every couple weeks. It seems like we'll see how long he's out for. Uh, it's tough for my fantasy squad. But it's a little concerning how often he keeps on getting these knocks. Um, so who knows when he'll be back. But Leverkusen destroyed Augsburg 5-1. to one. That's probably the best signing uh, of the coaching carousel of this past summer. Gerardo Sione from Switzerland has really, really offensively um, done wonders with that Leverkusen side, and they're flying in third place, and I don't see them dropping out of one of those Champions League places before the end of the season. Bayern, of course, destroyed Hertha. Lewandowski didn't score, surprisingly, uh, but that wasn't close. But it's looking like it's going to be a tight race for the Europa spots. It's a crowded table from about the fourth to ninth or tenth positions. Um, not a lot of points separate the teams. VFL Bochum continue to surprise. I pegged them. Um, Bielefeld um, and Firth before the season started to go down, but they continue to uh, get big wins instead of just drawing close games. They're actually getting those three points, which have been huge. But VFB Stuttgart lost again to Freiburg, and if they were to drop down to the second division, that'd be a huge blow. They actually have some really, really good talent on their team. It uh, looks like Hertha Berlin just signed one of their best players in Mark Oliver Kempf, who's a really good defender. Um, and so he'll be going over there immediately. I, I don't know if that's because he felt as if they were going down. Hertha aren't exactly in a much better position, but it is concerning if you're a Stuttgart fan. Uh, but transfer-wise, you know, Holland, you know, as you guys probably all saw the other day, you know, gave an interview, said he didn't like how Dortmund were pushing him to make a decision very soon. Um, I don't really know what to think about it. I mean, you know, as you guys were saying, players have more and more power every day, it feels like. Um, he doesn't want to make a decision now. I still feel like he goes to Real Madrid. I don't see him going to Bayern Munich and staying in Germany. Um, he wants, you know, either the Premier League or Real Madrid, which seems to be uh, his top club. I would love to see him go to Leeds United, but uh, that, would oh, never, nice. that would never happen. <laughs> But that would be a pipe dream. Uh, and then, you know, finally, another report that came out that said Nicholas Sule has turned down the most recent Bayern Munich contract proposal. Uh, I could see, I could actually see uh, a Chelsea swap there for Andreas Christensen, him coming over to Bayern Munich, and then Sule going over there. So that'd be interesting to watch out for. But that's what's been going on recently in the Bundesliga. Fantastic, fantastic stuff. Hello, hello. Yes, let's talk about some league earn action. Uh, we've just broken up for the international break, of course. Uh, much to my delight because I'll be happy to use the rest. Uh, there's been a few interesting results from league earn over the past seven days. 
Start with Lil. Uh, we mentioned them last week. Calibre in high flying form. They had a mixed week. Uh, they started with uh, on Wednesday beating Lorient three one. Uh, Renato Sanchez Mala match in that game again being really promising recently. Uh, yeah, and Lorient just things weren't quite clicking for them. But then Lille followed it up at the weekend um, with a two 0 loss to Stade Brest, uh, which really did come as a bit of a shock. It was pretty much an unchanged team and. Uh, beaten by Michel Desacarian's side, who was the former Montpellier boss. So, yeah, a little bit of a mixed week. We should talk about Lyon as well. They got a win in uh, the derby versus Saint-Étienne. A 1-0 win at Kevin Moussa Dembele penalty. And I think Moussa Dembele, he's the former Celtic striker. I was really particularly impressed by him in this game. He's He had a really bad season last year. I think he only got a couple of goals. And then he went to Atletico Madrid. He collapsed in training there. And ne- I don't think he even played a game. But he's come back to Lyon. And uh, I think he's turned t- turning 26 later this year. I think he was really impressive. Not only in his hold-up play. But the way he was linking up with players. Taking defenders on. I think it was great. Um, Leon defensively though, they, they gave lots of opportunities away for San Etienne, who could have and probably should have scored in this game, but they're, they're still kind of rooted, I think, to the near the bottom of the table. You know, they're still five points off 19th place Lorient, and then seven points off 18th place Metz. San Etienne in huge trouble. They're basically nailed on to go down, in my opinion, really. Um, as well, let's... Talk about another bit of a... We spoke about Lille getting a shock result. It was Wren. They lost 2-1 to Clermont Foot, who themselves were only two points ahead of the relegation zone. That came as a big shock. Uh, because Wren, as we know, they've pushed forward a lot of ways this season. They got, I think they got an appointment win last week against Lons, I think it was. But, yeah, they, they only managed to get a goal through uh, Santa Maria. But they fell behind 2-1 to Clermont Foot, Pascal Gastien's side. Really are full of a team full of nobodies. Really, the only player that was interesting was um, uh, Lucas Della Cunha, who's moved to Clermont Foot on loan uh, this window. Uh, a twenty-year-old Frenchman. I think he might have been at Monaco, uh, Monaco or Nice. Um, but yeah, he got a goal. I think on his debut for the club and the rest of the season on loan. Uh, the equaliser. So that'd be something interesting. Uh, Philippe Clement got his first loss as well. I've only got two games left, guys. Philippe Clement got his first loss as Monaco boss against uh, uh, Oliver Delalgio. De 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 I'm doing an Andy pronunciation here. Delalgio. Uh, Montpellier side. Uh, Steffi Mavadidi scored two, and Wahi added another in a 3 2 win for Monaco. Uh, that being said, Monaco still uh, had some good moments. I think Tushimeni had a pretty good game, and Ben Yedder scored as he usually does. Vanderson got his first goal for the club. He's the Brazilian right back, stroke right wing back, who's uh, been been brought in. Um, yeah, he, he he's looked okay recently. I think he's only twenty years old as well, so that's good for his confidence. But yeah, first first loss for Monaco, and the final game we talk about is PSG v Reims. Uh, that's how you pronounce it, by the way, not Reims. Uh, Rems, a bit like Ren, but with an M. Uh, Verratti had a very good game. He got two goals, which is quite out of the ordinary for him, and Mbappe getting an assist. Messi came on and got an assist as well. Although I did read that Messi has the worst shot-to-goal ratio, I think, in all of Europe. Uh, I, believe it was, I believe it was. Which is quite shocking, really. 
And it, it does show like the pace of Liga, and he struggled to keep up with it in many ways. Uh, you know, hopefully he hits the rest of the season with strong bounce. We said this; he's just got an assist this game. But there was growing criticism for Pochettino. I tell you what, it did make me raise an eyebrow. You've got to remember, in France, you can make five substitutions. For anyone who doesn't know, that's actually, I believe, a rule now that's been embedded into. Um, IFAB's rules across Europe. So even without the effects of COVID, it's going to be five subs every game, which think of that what you will. But PSG were 4-0 up by the 75th minute. Uh, they were 2-0 up by the 60th as well. And they only made three subs. And those three subs were for Draxler, who is a good player, good player. Herrera, who I guess is more of a backup option at this point. And Messi, and obviously that's fair. But you had Xavi Simons, Michu and Mbimbe on the bench. Uh, the former two there have appeared in recent games under Pochettino. And it's got the PSG fans on side him in many ways because they've really liked what they've seen of their like these academy graduates. Apart from Simons, he moved in Barcelona, but still. So I, I did see this and I was thinking... You really could have easily brought either of these guys on. You have three youngsters on the bench there, like three key youngsters who've proven themselves well in recent games. Like Mitchell grabbed the assist against Lyon a couple of weeks ago. So it feels like every time Pochettino gets some good work back for himself, he douses the flames of that in by his own accord. I mean, maybe he had a, a particular reason for it. I haven't read the press conference or anything about it. Perhaps he got questioned on it. But yeah, we've got an international break and hopefully the youngsters get to play in the next few games or at least Messi begins to do messy things. Hi, I'm Astro Begovic and you're watching Eurotrips. And now we're on to the final league, which is, if you may not know, it is the Premier League, which is obviously the league I cover. Um, so first of all, before we do start on the Premier League, um, recent in the last hour, literally since recording this podcast, have been announced that uh, Sadio Mane suffered a heavy head collision with the Cap Verde goalkeeper uh, just in the same game where he scored a apparently really good goal to give Senegal the lead and he has been taken off the pitch with a head collision. So I'm hoping Mane, when you come back to AFCON, from AFCON to Liverpool, that you are in a better shape and just hopefully you are better overall. Um, but looking at the last seven days in the Premier League, uh, Norwich came out of the relegation zone after a 3-0 win away at Norwich. Um, amazing goal from from youngster Sargent. He scored two in this game, as well as a own goal from Kuka. Uh, but obviously, one of the goals from Sargent was one of the best goals you'll see all year. A little um, sort of scorpion back back heel flick from youngster who, judged by celebration, also had a baby this week. So um, what a week for the youngster! Um, on the Saturday, um, Stephen Gerrard's Aston Villa won away at Everton, which was delighted Gerrard massively. Emmy Buendia scored the only goal of the game, which was marred by, um, I think it was a bottle that I thrown on the pitch at the heads of um, Matty Cash and Lucas Digne, who got the assist against his former club two weeks after being sold by, by them. Um, looking at the other games, uh, Wolves won 2-1 against Brentford. Goals from Jao Martinia and Ruben Neves, as well as a consolation goal from Ivan Toney. Uh, John Joe Shelby scored as Newcastle won 1-0 away at Leeds United. And a last-minute winner from Marcus Rashford, beat West Ham 1-0 at Old Trafford. Um, slight controversy around the um, Cavani's involvement, but for me personally, he was onside, so I have no issues there. And then Matiti's 12-month, 12-week, 12 12-game 12 straight winning streak is over in the Premier League as they drew 1-1 one, one 
against Southampton. Uh, Carl Walker-Peter scored a brilliant goal before Merrick Laporte scored late on to give them at least one point. And then Sunday, uh, Arsenal in a busy day, uh, which saw four games. Arsenal and Burnley drew 0-0. Uh, Liverpool uh, beat Palace 3-1 at Silver's Park. Um, goals from Anishi Van Dijk and Oxley Chamberlain before Edward gave Palace hope in what was a really good second half performance from them. They did really well. And then Fabinho scored from the spot. Uh, what, a, what a ball man he is. Uh, but it was controversy around his penalty, which I feel personally was not a penalty. I think that Jota went down and was looking for the penalty. But VAR did give it. So um, I'm not complaining, but I wouldn't have been happy if I was a Palace fan without doubt. Um, Leicester Brighton drew 1-1 with um, a goal from Patson Dacker, levelled out by a late goal from Danny Welbeck. And then finally, Chelsea completely controlled the game at Spurs, winning 2-0, where they won the goal from Hakim Ziyech and another goal from Thiago Silva, who scored his third of the season and his second against Tottenham Hotspur. But of course, there was a um, Kane scored in the first half, a goal which was disallowed, in my opinion, very harshly. But am I complaining? Absolutely not. Uh, and then there's one more game coming up on Saturday the 5th, which is in two weeks' time. There is a break next week, and then after that is the FA Cup. But there's only one game coming up in the Premier League in, in two weeks' time, and that is of Burnley against Watford in what could be a way well, a massive six-pointer. In terms of the table, it's the top's still the same. City may have you know dropped points, but they're still miles ahead. But the bottom is where it gets interesting. And also the top four race whilst we're here. Um, so Man U are currently fourth with uh, 38 points from 22 games played. And then West Ham are fifth with 23 games played and 37 points. Arsenal are sixth with 21 points and 36 po- 21 games played and 36 points. And Tottenham, amazingly, also on the same amount of points. And they have a game less, even less played than Arsenal. So if they win their games in hand, they've got two over fourth place Man U. That would mean that they would, in fact, go fourth. So Tottenham are doing better than we all think. As are Wolves, they're eighth with 21 games played, 34 points, as they are, I believe, the second best, or they've had the second most clean sheets in the Premier League this season. And then rolling down right to the bottom, uh, Burnley are currently bottom with 18 games played, which is incredible the amount of games they've had postponed. Um, they've only got 12 points. Then Watford are in 19th with 20 games played and 14 points. Newcastle are in 18th with 21 games played and 15 points. And then Norwich City are 17th with 22 games played and 16 points. And then the best thing of all, Everton are 16th with 20 games played and 19 points. Amazingly, only four points off relegation with a game in hand. Um, Things you'd love to see. Um, In terms of transfer fees, transfer news even... Um, the biggest one recently has been Adama Chore, the Wolves player. Um, there's been there's this talk they've agreed a twenty million pound deal from him to go from Wolves to Tottenham. Uh, so recent news in the last quarter of an hour, uh, Palace want Manu outcast Donny Van Der Beek on loan. Uh, I can see, I can see that happening. Um, Spurs are apparently in talks with Porto's Luis Diaz, who was only recently linked with a move to Liverpool. Um, Newcastle are prepared to pay for a Lingard loan fee, but must pay £37.6 million for Sevilla centre-back uh, Diego Carlos. Um, in terms of other news, obviously Everton's still looking for a manager. Um, moment of front runners seem to be either Frank Lampard, um, Adam, he's been interviewed already, from what I've heard. He has been one of the main people linked. And also, um, I can't actually get his name, but uh, I'm told the guy called Pereira has been linked with a job as well. Um Watford did sack Ranieri after only two or three months in the job. Um, Roy Hodgson is set to be the new manager. 
Uh, and then also Christian Eriksen. Um, of course, everyone knows him from his first days. Um, had that horrible um, injury or cardiac arrest in the Euros. A whole horrific incident. And um, he's been training with Ajax, but he's been set to join Brentford. Um, I think for initial six-month deal, but that could obviously lead to something permanent should um, he have a good time there, which I'm sure he will. And then finally, Man City's talks with a youngster, Alvarez, um, over a £17 million deal, apparently progressing well. Um, someone who apparently beaten Man United to the rights to. So, exciting youngster there. Uh, we'll see how he gets on. Um, but yeah, that is all the Premier League news. And that has been our podcast this week. So once again, a bit of a short one, but we've um, had definitely a good chat, especially out of the Hobbit situation about Juventus. So it's been another good week of European football chat. We will see you next week for more football chat. So I have been your host, Andy. This has been Jonathan. This has been Ryan. This has been Naeem. And this has been Alex. So we will see you next time. Goodbye. Ciao.